Hello and welcome to Concert Pipeline. I'm Steve Jones. Uh, today on the program, we have a band called Elder Island. Uh, I had a chance to chat with David Havard uh, of Elder Island, and we had a freaking great conversation. We connected on so many levels. Uh, uh, the Elder Island is made up of Katie Sargent, Luke Thornton, and David Havard. Um, and we got the chance to talk about their uh, rise to fame since 2019, the struggle it took to get there, um, and um, being able to operate as a band through COVID. So we'll get to that in just a few minutes here. I'm not going to spend a ton of time with the intro because honestly, I have to run over to my new house, the new house I just bought, which we talked about even a little bit in the interview, I believe. And um, and I ha I'm taking stuff there, I'm unloading, I'm going to have to paint some walls and I have to do that before it gets dark. So um, don't have a lot of time for this intro other than to say, uh, got the keys to the house. Uh, they, uh, I'm pretty excited. It's going to be a big change for the family for sure. Uh, but uh, the kids are embracing it and like the house. The new schools will take more time and adjustment to get to used to uh, get used to them once they get started with that. But they don't have to worry about that until like August, right? So, uh, so that's good. Um, right now, just every time I'm going over to the new house, loading up my car and taking stuff over, I'll have the big moving truck this next weekend uh, to take most everything uh, uh, else that's not nailed down. Um, we do still have to live in this current house for uh, a couple more weeks, pushing us closer to the end of the school year until we're out, but um, I'm getting everything I can out. I mean, I, this morning I even took the dining room table out of the dining room and took that out to the garage so it can be loaded into the big moving truck, uh, as well as all the chairs that go with it. We'll eat on the table out on the on the patio for the next couple of weeks. It's warm enough. It's nice enough out here and uh, no complaints. Right. So uh, making do with uh, with as little as I can and, and moving as much as I can on my own. Um, I will admit that this is a challenge. Uh, this is tiring and exhausting to have to handle and coordinate and do all this on my own. I have a little help sprinkled in here and there from my mom, my sister, uh, you know, my buddy Joe is going to help me with the moving truck. Uh, you know, I'm getting some advice here and there from folks, but this is all on my shoulders ultimately. And this is the first time, first of all, I haven't moved in eight years. So it's been a long time since I've even had to move, which is great because I hate fucking moving. It's a pain in the ass. Uh, but this is the first time I've had to do it on my own since before I had kids as well. And so you yeah, accumulate a couple more things when you have children and it gets a little bit harder to, uh, to, to cross those bridges, right? So, and I'm doing it without movers. Uh, I mean, I'm pretty impressed. I was originally planning on getting movers for the move, but I figured just handle shit myself and get it taken care of. So it's been a lot of that. Uh, and also, you know, saving some money where I can because shit's expensive. So uh, figuring out, like it. Um, that's the, the jam right now. Uh, I was supposed to do a 70 mile ride with my buddy Joe today. Uh, we have our 100 mile ride on um, in two weeks. It's, it's in less than two weeks, actually, in Santa Rosa. So we missed our, our ride today to practice, but hopefully we'll catch one up you know, on the uh, during the week to make sure that we're really prepared because it's going to be uh quite a hefty task to to do but we're gonna we're gonna do it come may 7th so that's daunting and intimidating but uh but also i really look forward to it and uh, meeting that milestone with my buddy so should be fun um all right like i said not gonna waste too much time on the intro 
uh, going to bring in Elder Island. So I want to welcome in David Havard. Hey, how's it going? I'm good. How are you? Good, good. I don't know if Katie's, Katie should be here, but she's at home. She's not that great at the moment, but Luke is away today. He's in Thailand, lucky son. Thailand? Oh, what's he doing in Thailand? He's just having a holiday at the moment. Yeah. A really busy time either way. <laughs> yeah, no, no complaints there, right? So, yeah, uh, yeah. Well, we can get started without uh, Katie, and if she hops in, then you know, then she yeah. if she can pick up from there. So, uh, thanks for for taking the time, David. Right? Yep. 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 Uh, I'm Steve. So <laughs> nice to meet you as well. Uh, how's your day going so far? Today's going all right. It's going okay. We've done a lot of accounting and admin and preparation today i'm about to do a lot of dj practice in a minute yeah do you, yeah. Do you dj a lot too i starting to again now yeah now there's some like dj gigs coming up that i've said yes to i used to dj a lot kind of before elder island um and i'm getting back into it again now off the back yeah. of it so it's like, okay it's kind of coming full circle again how do you get into djing um I bought some turntables for going to uni, sort of like, it was like me and Luke have known each other for years. Um, yeah. And we were in bands when we were like teenagers and stuff, but like just before moving to university in Bristol, I bought a set of turntables, sort of one electro, Mastercraft and Justice and like all the Daft Punk, um, Ed Banger sort of stuff was getting big. And I kind of got into DJing off of the back of that and then moving to Bristol with having such a like big vinyl culture and clubbing culture, it just sort of, I got heavily into it at that point. So it was like for, during university, I was kind of DJing more and it wasn't until after university that we actually like clicked doing the music thing more so. Yeah. Going back to the real instruments. Yeah, for sure. And, and so you mentioned uh, you've known um, Luke for, I mean, you've known him since you were three, right? Yeah, 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 yeah. <laughs> yeah, a very young age. You were at reception, like drinking milk together. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> we were really young. Have you been um, friends that whole time, or did, were there? Kind of. It was more. Um, he went to a different when he, when we were in like um, what would be like year two or something around that kind of time. He went to a different school, but our parents still knew each other, and they played tennis together, and they had a whole like tennis group crew. So we'd still like occasionally see each other through that and playing tennis. And then it wasn't until we were teenagers that we were end up working in the same supermarket. And it was like, all right, what are you doing here? And got into like going out to gigs and open mic nights and stuff together from that kind of age. Yeah. Yeah. It's it's interesting when, you know, how friendships work like that, you know, they can cross and come back mm. and, and and everything, right? You know. Um my uh, my best friend and I have been friends for like 20 years and so our, our sons are best friends uh, yeah you know now and even though they're like a year and a half apart but uh, but I'm on this verge of a move to two towns away yeah and and so it's going to change the dynamic they're not going to be at the same school anymore and but yeah it'll that's be interesting be to see a bit of a, yeah see how that goes <laughs> yeah I mean we're gonna obviously my, my buddy and I are going to continue to be friends and everything that's not changing yeah, 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 so yeah. we'll get the kids together but it's it'll be interesting to see what that does to the dynamic of their friendship too you know because yeah. you know um we'll, we'll see but <laughs> uh, yeah so so tell me a little bit about uh, what music was on in the household when you were you were growing up what did what did your parents listen to 
Oh, that's an interesting one. My mum was really into more musicals and stuff like that, and Barbara Streisand and blaring out stuff which I really didn't like. You didn't go for it, huh? <laughs> no, and would be like, I think it drilled into my love of like big horn sounds and stuff like that. But a lot of the stuff, yeah, it would be like I was kind of anti it, would always be hunting out my own kind of thing against that. And um, my stepdad used to play. Prince Purple Rain a lot in the car. Just um, never, yeah, whenever he'd get a lift somewhere and ask for a lift down, can you get driving me into town and can I get a lift here or something? They'd like, always be playing Purple Rain and it was something we could kind of like get on board with together. Yeah, well, that's that, I can get down with Purple Rain more than uh, the, the stress yeah. end too, so I don't, I don't blame yeah, you there. Exactly. Yeah. Yeah. When, when you started kind of listening to music yourself, like what, what were you listening to uh, growing up? What, what did you start out with? Oh, there's too much, I guess. I went through so many different like areas. I remember the biggest like impact. I remember buying it, like the first album of like being obsessed with was Linkin Park, Hybrid Theory, when that one came yeah. out. That was like quite an obsessive one of being like obsessed with the album, like buying a CD, really going to town and all the covers and everything like that um definitely had some obscure like weird singles before but that was the kind of starting point going into a lot of music like that and i was into like less than jake and real big fish yeah. um, they yeah. were like the first bands i saw actually real big fish in like goldfinger all, all bands uh, i've talked to by the way uh mm. like over, over the years i mean that's that that's the stuff i grew up on too so yeah, yeah. interviewed them it's all like um yeah it's like a oh it's like TV as well. It's like I remember having um in the UK it's like MTV two was a really good um video channel, like music channel, and they had Kerrang TV as well. And um there was another one, I can't remember what it was at the time, but they would you would just watch them, you'd have them on in the background, or you'd just like yeah listening to music on it all, all day long in a way. And that was the kind of a lot of the music that's coming out of those channels. I remember MTV two one, there was a late night from like one PM to like well, 1 a.m. to 3 a.m. in the morning that would have loads of really amazing alternative music. And it was, I remember finding like bands like Little Dragon and Whitest Boy Alive and loads of people like that in those kind of times. And that opened me up to a lot more of the like left field alternative pop that kind of inspires our sound now. Yeah. Especially then. Yeah, it's crazy times. I mean, like the fact that we used to have channels dedicated to music videos and everything. Yeah. Like what, what a part of our culture and growing that that was, right? So it was massive, yeah. Yeah. And it's like it's kind of YouTube now in that same way, but it's not like it's um it's not curated in a way. You're your own curator when it comes to these platforms. You're and, in control more, but yeah. that, which is a good thing, but it's also like, hey, you know, it's it's cool to be introduced to stuff, you know, through the ways uh, like like that before, right? You know, I was I was on yeah. a road trip with my kids this weekend, and so we were listening to a lot of music, and it's like we're taking turns on songs, and so I listen to their crap and for uh, <laughs> a bit, and then you get to my song, and then I I was like I put on Jesus of Suburbia by by uh, Green Day because it's like yeah. a nine minute song, and I was like, <laughs> and that and I was telling my daughter, I was like, you know, there uh, I remember when MTV had a music video for this, which was nuts because uh it was nine minutes and that sort of thing didn't happen you know but yeah. it, that album was so big that it uh that it, they uh, had it the budget and they did. <laughs> yeah yeah it, it it was huge but yeah that was that was crazy time uh, yeah uh, yeah 
Uh, so tell me about some of your bands with uh, with Dave. That you, um, um, I'm sorry, Luke, uh, that you had growing up. Like you guys were in multiple different bands together. Yeah, we did. Um, yeah, there was like a little bit of fit because at the schools that we uh, were at, I was in Monkwood Ferndown and he was in Monkwood Ringwood, and they were about a couple of miles from each other. But um, there was all that both schools had quite a, like a few bands at each one, and we set up like more of a scary band at our one, I guess, and they were a bit more into their indie and libertines and all that kind of future heads at that school. Um, and it wasn't until we kind of graduated like A levels, so like college, that we then started doing bands around that time. And I guess we kind of, it basically the two schools like merged at that point. Um, and they were a bit like indie punky, I guess is what we were doing back then. And then through the years, like, well, well when, we, when we were at uni and we started playing music together a bit more, we were doing more of a, like a um, death from above thing, I guess. Like Luke was playing drums, I was playing bass and that was the main thing. And then Luke would sing as well when we do that kind of dynamic and that's when Katie started to get involved as well with like playing coming around and started to like play cello and bits and then I guess it's where she learned to sing she started singing on top of stuff like oh okay this yeah. is coming comes turned into something else yeah and uh, what were the names of the bands do you like uh, I'm sure they were great <laughs> well one of them was called the shutdowns okay okay um another one was called aloha soho get dig it uh-huh yeah um what was the, what's some of the more one of them that we called ourselves when it was actually all three of us was lady in the tramps was another one. Oh, that's good okay <laughs> yeah um i can't remember there's a there's one more i can't remember what it was now at one point one of the young, other younger bands it's maybe many different silly names over the years. <laughs> yeah, yeah, uh, that's awesome. And and so what what were obviously these were in, you know bands that you built up and kind of to teach you to get to where you are right now. Yeah. What what were some of the takeaways that you had from uh, from those bands? Uh, I guess it's kind of just like how to um, just like dealing playing in front of people already not building it off of your own like original music without any experience of like standing in front of people and playing and um just yeah the um some of the dynamics of working with some people in bands you kind of get a sense that like you can clash a lot and <laughs> there's going to be some points where it's going to be hard to work with and also like what can happen when you're in recording studios and stuff as well like it can from the outside perspective, it can seem like such a great thing to be doing, but sometimes when you're in a recording studio, you're sat around all day, not doing much, kind of waiting for your turn to play or do your part or something like that. And that, like, <laughs> to be like, yeah, it's not like super exciting going into a recording studio, maybe have a book or something at hand or something that you can keep yourself like busy with and inspired by at the same time. Yeah, yeah. Um, so, um, so you've done some touring, um, like in, even different countries and everything. Tell me about some of the tours that you, you guys have been on. Oh, God, the ones we've been on. So I guess in the uh, sort of post COVID kind of world that we're in now, um, we've haven't, we've, we've done the UK tour. We managed to pull off a UK tour in that time and we've had, a some some festivals and some bits and pieces pick up and we've started to venture outside of the uk again this year so we've already we've been to dublin 
did our two shows in Dublin this year. Um, and we just got back from Snowbombing Festival in Austria as well. And we had a show in Istanbul the month before that too. Wow. So that's already just this year. And then we're off to this, we've got the full US tour, like in a, now a couple of weeks time, actually. So it's like the prep for that. But it's kind of feels like we're back to the sort of momentum or level we were working at a few years ago in 2019, because 2019 was a really, really busy year for us. That was kind of where it went big quite quickly because we were, it's the first time we embarked out of the UK on like a European headline tour and a US headline tour, North American headline tour. And we did yeah. two in Europe and in North America within the same year. So, and it kind of, wow. The level that we stepped up from, from especially the North American tour, we really noticed it with that one, what the venue sizes and capacities we played on that first little run. We did South by Southwest at the start and then like a short run from like doing San Fran, LA, um, Chicago, did Toronto, Montreal and New York and Washington. And that was intense, it was really intense, but playing at like a 250 cap venue in San Francisco to then playing in like, the Fillmore, a 1200 cap venue within the oh. same year. And being okay. Right. So, so you played the, you played the Fillmore in San Francisco. Last uh, time. Yeah. So that's my favorite venue of all time. I love it. It uh, is amazing. Oh, yeah. It's so good. There's so much energy there and in the walls, the apples, I mean, are magic. Like, uh, I mean, it's incredible. Like, I mean, I have had a lot of my history there as, uh, as well, you know? Uh, yeah. Yeah, I mean, so tell, tell me about the experience of playing the Fillmore. It was epic, actually. It was quite a, a bit more of a shock. I guess it was the only venue as well that I did on that tour. It was the biggest one for us on that tour. Um, but it was actually working, going into a venue that's unionized as well, working in a venue where there is obviously all the crew there. It's not, it's not it's kind of crossed that threshold. So getting more of that experience walking in. But walking yeah. into the poster room, because I, I, I'm from a design background. Like I went, I studied graphic design at university and have designed gig posters in the past. So walking yeah. into a, it's literally a museum of gig Your posters. Your mind's right? Like It's my mind's blown. And like they, they make their own posters. So we've got one here. Oh, you got a Fillmore poster. Yeah, you got to show yeah, me. Yeah, I've got a Fillmore poster. So. Oh, wow. Yeah, there we go. So oh, yeah, we've got. Awesome. We've got a Fillmore poster, so getting some of them and they printed loads of them up as well and just for us to take away, it was like, oh man, the experience of doing this is amazing. This like feels like a real achievement, pulling this one off. Yeah, yeah I, have, I have so many Fillmore posters, you know, from shows over the years and I have never had a place to put them. And so now I just bought my first house and, and so I'm like, I was talking to my buddy, you know, and he's like, I was thinking about it the other day. You should you should frame, have your Fillmore posters framed, and mm -hmm. uh, and put them up. And I'm like, it's a great idea. It's expensive to do that, but but it's a yeah, but I'm like, it. <laughs> yeah, yeah. I mean, so many freaking memories and shows that you know inspired me, and the artwork's amazing. You know, amazing yeah. as well. But but for you, I mean, uh, obviously as well. That's that's a pretty cool milestone because they they only do those for shows that sold uh, sold out, right? Yeah. So, yeah, so yeah, you have to hit over the the eighty percent marker to get a poster, and we just did it. And I was just like, "Yes, <laughs> the yeah. classes sell out. We've done it. <laughs> We've got a poster." <laughs> yeah. Did you guys get to be a part of uh, like who who did the artwork for it? And no, it was yeah. We didn't know we were getting one. Um, 
we didn't know what we just it was like as we walked into the dressing room they they had it like there as you walk in so it was just like yeah whoa whoa, whoa. you're just not expecting it you kind of caught off guard and then but then you kind of look around at the other posters that are in that dressing room and it's like oh, yeah. and, and then you've got like 13 floor elevators kicking around there you've got some serious names that have just been oh, oh like, yeah Jesse, jefferson airplane tom yeah the doors everywhere it's just like oh my god this is like this is where so much of it burst from, isn't it? This is the yeah. yeah, place. And like the whole crew just, yeah, a lot of fun. And we had the lighting rig. We have, we've we built our own lighting rig that we kind of take with us. It's just like a load of LED tubes and stuff. But um, on that tour, we kind of, we didn't have them programmed already ourselves. And our point is kind of what we were working on as the tour was progressing, but just gave them to the lighting engineer there. But she was amazing. She just like took them on, was just up for it put on an amazing show with them and it's just like, yes, this is great. I kind of want to be watching our show from the crowd this time around instead. Yeah, yeah, that's so awesome. And so you're going to come back to San Francisco uh, and you're playing the Regency May 30th, right? That is right, yeah, 30th of May. Yeah, that's that's awesome. That's a great place too. Um, I've yeah. seen some, some good shows there. Actually, my favorite concert of all time was at the Regency. Um, mm -hmm. it, was the, it was this Bowie celebration. Okay. Um, uh, shortly after he died and it was led by Gary Oldman actually yeah. Gary Oldman and the actor and, and friends you know and there were 75 musicians uh, uh, all throughout the night just playing uh, Bowie songs like three and a half hours of, of Bowie and and we got to cover it and interview you know tons of uh, artists that were playing and everything you know, like mm. it, it was so it was so cool amazing yeah that's it yeah. just a full night of it oh yeah yeah wow. it's a, i wish i i wish i'd got to see bowie back in the day that's it i wish i, I could know. experience some of these shows but it's like yeah not like a relived imagine not like a band going back out it's like at the time it's heyday it's peak in those venues where, where it's just like that vibe is happening yeah they're just too young we missed out on a lot of that yeah i know this is the best right? hit <laughs> i'm like God, I started going to concerts too. I mean, I've been going to concerts in my whole life, but you know, it started, yeah, just it. missed that's all still, of that, you know? That's yeah. certain like pocket, certain scenes and certain like, yeah, different times. Yeah. So, so 2019, uh, the Omnitone Collection. So tell me about the process of, uh, of making that, uh, that album, how it came together for you guys. Okay. Yeah. The Omnitone Collection was like, I mean, it was a big deal, I guess. It was us making our first album, the debut album, and it was, We'd, we'd wanted to make an album for quite a while and we were constantly kind of trying to, I guess is what we were trying to do around the time of Season Sand. So a few years before, but we never felt like we were ready to pull it off. And a lot of the music that um, went onto the, the Omnitone collection anyway were some of the initial recordings that were kind of initiated some of the ideas from around the Season Sand writing time anyway. So they'd been songs that had been there for a couple of years. Um, and we've really kind of lent in with the artwork a lot as well. We've kind of worked on the album and we're still thinking of the artwork alongside at the same time. So a lot of that kind of crossed over and bled into sort of the way some of the lyrical context was kind of being finished a little bit for some of the tracks. But it, yeah, it took us quite a while to get to that point and we finally worked with a producer properly on that album as well for the first time. So that was like, um, 
going to someone's studio with the tracks at a point yeah. where we were like pretty happy in a demo level and some of them more so kind of finished and putting a better polishing touch on it and re-recording things to make them better and also with songs where we were struggling with certain arrangement aspects being able to kind of hear all three voices and take the best ideas into what it what the album turned into so we were all I think we were all really happy with the outcome of that but it was definitely was a lot was thrown into that album to make it what it was we went so like so far with the artwork that was where we really pushed it and I don't think people quite got it or sort of get to really appreciate the whole beauty of what we tried to put in there you kind of have to buy the deluxe album because there's a whole 12 page booklet with all the photographs of all the kit and a complete like creative writing spiel it's like we created a complete corporation making these these things and there's a whole tech spec related to every device that's there it's got a lot of information in <laughs> yeah yeah, and and so uh, you you got in with a producer. Who was the producer, and how did you land on them? Um, a producer was Ali Chan. Um, he's a Bristol-based producer. Um, we'd met him before recently. Uh, well, met him before around the Seeds and Sand time. We um, met him in Bristol. He used to run um, Toy Box Studios in Bristol, um, and we were kind of like we wanted someone local. So we wanted someone that we could sort of work in Bristol with because we wanted to kind of still work on our studio as well still kind of keep a lot of production control ourselves but he was a really good fit he just moved to a new studio and built a new studio that was literally a five minute walk from our our studio already anyway um and his approach was exactly what the way we work hardware he's got so much kit it's big trident desk in there all the preamps that we could ever dream of, all the compressors, all the synthesizers, everything you kind of need that we just got really stuck in quickly and we were getting what we needed to down in such a quick like working sort of time frame in there with him in that way. And being working in a studio with someone you're paying kind of big rates on a daily basis makes you work for it quickly as well. Yeah. So it, like, it lit a fire up for us to really kind of pull it off and work that extra bit faster and just like with a bit more pressure behind it and it I think it got the best out of us on that back end of the album but um we're really good friends with him now and like our unit here is we're practically neighbors to him now his, his proper studio is just literally there so we right like, over there yeah yeah, yeah. So we did swimming static with him as well but more we did more of the production ourselves I guess with swimming static and um going into Ali's to record all Katie's vocals like he's amazing with dealing with vocals. He's worked with um, Alison Sudukas. I don't know how to pronounce the name recently, and quite a few bands. He's worked with Kate Tunstall in the past. He's done a lot of stuff with um, um, PJ Harvey as well in the past, and he's good friends with Adrian Utley, because Adrian Utley was another guy that we were like, ooh, is he? But I feel like if we went down that route, we would have nerded out a bit too much on the gear, too much. Yeah, is, yeah bringing yeah the poorest head influence in I think we would have gotten a bit too lost whereas Ali felt like a better fit to just yeah get us to our end goal quickly and clearly sure sure and and so as you're pulling this album together are you thinking about how it'll translate to a live show uh, as well 
we that's always there in the back of the mind nowadays yeah because it's, yeah when we made the omnitone it was kind of the first time of making an album where it's more studio focused where a lot of the time the song some songs were written and never played live whereas previously we'd always played our music live before it was released every track that was kind of being written um whereas now there's that kind of going into the studio making the music we'll just record aimlessly for an hour and build songs around certain ideas and it can get to a point where you're like overdubbing the, the hundredth channel of synth and tweaking thing that you're like how the hell are we going to play this live and there are a few tracks off the swimming static the most recent album where trying to do the rehearsals we've noticed that they just some can't translate in the way that we need to like katie's laid so many harmonies and so many like vocal elements that yeah. they just don't cut quite as they need to in a live context. And we don't run backing track or anything like that. Like to do those sort of things, we like to run it all synthesizers being sequenced, guitars, loopers, like all created live in front in that capacity. So it's got harmony effects and loopers and she stacks loops and does stuff, but there's like, there was no way we could get that one to like sacred to this point where it's like that cuts like the record. And it's like, do we put it out or do we put a weaker performance? It's like, it's kind of, where do you cap it? Like, which one's worth doing, which one's not? Yeah, yeah. And and so, I mean, so how do you make that decision, right? I mean, because you, you obviously put out a great re uh, record, something that you're really proud of that you can take there. And so did you feel like you had to cut a little bit in the, in the live performance or you were able to make adjustments so it, it balanced? I think we, we done a bit of both so in some places we have cut where we we did play you know one or two tracks where we played them they've been tough to play they've they've gone down well but we know they don't sound as good as what our like sort of threshold of perfection is at and it's like it's not quite as good as what the other some of the other tracks that translated so well to a live context that would rather focus on them and we've also actually got quite a lot of music now that we're trying to slip into the set. And we can only play so much because otherwise the amount of shows we're actually kind of committing to at the moment, kind of building back into it, we need to be very cautious of like Katie and her voice because she has lost her voice performing before. And like, obviously if any possibility of getting ill or anything falls out, we've had to cancel shows recent, like last year on the UK tour due to her losing her voice on like, after one of the shows, just being a little bit ill, pushing herself too much. And yeah. it's the last thing is just, we don't want to then be like trying to cram every song we've got into then to have this two hour set that is just impossible to perform and yeah, take on tour. So it's like how to balance that as well, which affects what tracks you kind of perform live. And it helps with that, that aspect of being like, well, we've really struggled performing that one as much as we'd love to and it's a really good strong track on the album we'll get rid of it because it's it's too much it's so yeah. too much yeah it's just too much chat there's too yeah it's too too much of a challenge yeah yeah and so as uh, this album came out and then obviously not too far after COVID hit you're, you guys are just hitting your stride really at that at that point what was that like for, uh, for you guys as you know as you're getting this momentum and getting this traction I guess it was um, at the time we were okay with it because we just um, we did our last show in like February in 2020 yeah. off the back of all that touring all of 2019 and 
literally on that day, the day after that show, we went straight into the studio and locked ourselves away and just wrote music. That's what our intention was for the next few months was to do wow. nothing write music for the, the Swimming Static album. So it was a month in that COVID started to become a thing. And that's when we were only just starting to like come up for air for the first time after just being in there every day recording sessions and being like, okay, so what's happening here? And yeah. for us, we're just like, well, okay, we're just gonna carry on in the studio. God. And we had a couple of festivals canceled, which we were quite glad about because we were so focused on writing that we were like, okay, that's actually a bit of stress out the way. But then after a little while, it's like when you start to like rear ahead and coming back at it, realize we have almost like wiped that whole year's worth of work that we did in 2019 away and having to rebuild that like process of getting that touring schedule back in, getting your name back onto the whole kind of festival circuit in the same way. But we, it feels like it's back then again now. It's just all of a sudden it's a bit like, yeah. Well, calm down now, put the brakes back on a bit. <laughs> People are ready but to get out and see some live shows, right? So exactly. Everyone's kind of ready for it now, massively. It feels like um it feels like we were a bit of a guinea pig sort of period last summer in UK where yeah. we were doing festivals again and seeing how it was going. It worked well, but it was also quite chaotic. It's chaotic. Yeah. <laughs> really chaotic. But um it feels like it's everyone's back on board. Everyone remembers what to do as well. They've like They've brushed off all the like cobwebs there. I, I remember, I remember now. I remember what I was doing before. Yeah, yeah. I remember, like, like you talk like last summer. I think it was like the same here. I mean, we, uh, I drove down like ten hours to down Southern California or something to get get to that first uh, show. You know, where mm. you paid far too much for a ticket, and it's you're in a square that's etched out. You know, sort of thing. Yeah. Like, <laughs> <laughs> and it's like this isn't how it's supposed to be. Yeah, you know? this doesn't feel <laughs> like, quite right it's yet, doesn't it? Music, you know, you gotta <laughs> gotta just scratch that itch and. Uh, and yeah, there. that's it. That is I mean, it. Yeah, it sounded like for you guys though. At least, I mean, the timing was a mostly planned. You know, I mean, and, and worked worked out for for your benefit. You, you got the tour out of the way, and then you were able to start writing anyway. And it's like yeah. you're up over. Oh, there's this thing going on. Okay, yeah, COVID. <laughs> yeah, that's but, it. Uh, it was quite like that. It was like wow. And it was just like, as it kind of carried on, it was more like, okay, now we could do with some shows, need to kind of be earning some money now. And like trying to make that work was, it was obviously a challenge. And yeah, but I think we lucked out. <laughs> I really do yeah. think we got quite lucky with the situation we put ourselves in. As had it yeah. been for us a year beforehand and we'd had to cancel that 2019 year, for us, I think we'd be in a position where we'd be back to like working jobs to sort of sustain our living and would yeah we wouldn't be kind of where we are now I don't think we would have got the second album out in a good like time frame or anything we'd be like are we doing this or not sort of thing which I imagine yeah. for a lot of bands is going to be this sort of the grim reality which is really really shit but yeah, yeah. I talked to so many bands whose albums were like ready to come out at that beginning the beginning of covid and then they're like mm. had to hold it for you know nine months a year and then i, I guess yeah. we just put it out you know and then How not be able to this? tour behind it and, yeah and everything and that's, and that's it it's tough and that's it because we've like had the album come out the swimming static last year but we weren't able to do the tours when they were time for off the back of it and like we'd already moved them twice and yeah. then 
we finally got them in now, but now they're sort of like so late after the fact, it doesn't feel like they're part of that touring campaign. And you're trying to like generate more press to remind people that you're on tour because you don't have any new music out. So like, oh, right, you're playing in the town in a few weeks, all right. Yeah, yeah. And, and so talk to me about your approach with uh, Static. Like, how did you go in with uh, uh, that album on the heels of, you know, of what you'd already done? What were you trying to take that, w- that worked from, um, from your first full length and, uh, and imp- implemented into the new album? I guess with that, it was more the, our workflows of just how we're kind of, how we write music and how we operate in the studio was like really lent in on making that as best it could be and we spent a lot of time and made like a chunkier investment in just like getting the studio ready beforehand didn't do any like let's try this out or let's test sort of thing it was literally built the studio properly checked everything so it just operated so that when we started to record the initial sessions it meant we didn't need to worry about anything we could just hit record and play perform we're all synchronized we can just see what comes from it um, and that was the, the approach we wanted to start with was with no preconceived ideas really from any old music, anything beforehand. We started with a completely like blank slate. It was like, there's nothing here. We haven't got anything. No one's walking in with, I've got this riff, I've got this like thing. It was just literally starting the day afresh. And every day we did at least three, three recordings on a daily basis, basically that were completely loose. And I guess we had this idea of wanting it to be a dancier album this time around when we started as we been making our live show more dancey every time, every time we were like pushing it a bit further and further. Um, but as we were just doing more of the, more of these jams, it was just, we were going in so many different directions every day. It's just like one morning you're writing a grungy song and the next day, like by the afternoon you're in like tech house sort of vibes. And then next day we're in R and B vibe. And then it's just like, it's, yeah, just but we just lean into that. If we feel that like that's what the song wants to be, that's what it wants to be, and we'll lean into it and embrace it, but without trying to cross it into being like cheesy you know, or trying to really it's just like take the best elements and make them shine in that way. Yeah, it's like it's an R and B rhythm, but let's just go for it then. Let's enhance that R and B rhythm as best as possible. Yeah, and and how do you how do you feel you find that balance with um, with Moog and with uh, Katie? Like, I mean, because I know Katie's into kind of darker music. So if you're trying to go for a dance thing, you know, is she kind of like I don't know, it needs to be a little heavier sort of thing. I guess it's more we start to bounce around off each other like quite often in the studio that way. Um, it's like you'll get. We'll just start. So it depends. It's like anything goes. We'll see what happens. Like, um, I guess with this one. I got a Tempest drum machine, so I was actually starting a lot more of the beats initially on this one. Um, but it would just start with sort of something or like someone would just kind of create a loop. And as soon as someone's kind of got a loop in, it kind of dictates at least some of the key and the notes or like a little bit of riff to play with. Um, and then how we bounce off of that. And it takes a little while, Katie will kind of do a lot of ooing. Like the first 20 minutes, there'll be lots of like ooh, and things like that that, happen and she might hit a melody or something and then you just get a few lines that trigger and then off the back of that you're like oh okay 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 and then it might trigger something else like I need to throw a little bass line under there and then it can just gradually bounce it around until you kind of sculpted like a wall of sound basically it's kind of what yeah. tends to happen 
and you're like I've got every instrument kind of sequence right now and it's all looping and then when it gets to a point it's just like it can veer off in a completely different direction and sometimes someone will just like probably not lean in or have as strong an idea but they just kind of sit back and maybe just focus on one little element like it could be that um Katie was always kind of be just like playing a cello singing vocals or she's got little bass synths that she's playing around with normally like me and Luke have got drum machine synthesizers guitars and basses and whatnot around so with us sometimes it's like someone ends up maybe leaning into doing more of the beats and bass and sounds of build up while the other person's actually more just playing on the keys and playing a guitar line for a little while and then they could completely flip that by later on in the day where then it's the other person is doing much more like I've got drum machines going and some basses going and play on the keys on this side instead and like yeah the, it kind of just like pops up and down sometimes it can just be like that's awful that was dreadful what were we up to <laughs> yeah, yeah. <laughs> how, how close was the final product to what you envisioned kind of going in very different it was yeah. very different yeah. yeah like I was expecting us to be much more like um four to the floor I feel like in this one I thought that's if that sounded like that's what we all kind of wanted to make a little bit more as well. We wanted a bit more like, oof, but after a lot more of the writing, it felt like we'd gone into like put a more poppy, darkier, darker edge in a lot of areas and more brooding like rhythms as well, that are a bit more grinding in some places that I guess is actually more of our, all of our tastes have shone through a bit more on this album, I think more so than they have done in the past. So there's been yeah. more of a crossover of all of the diverse kind of music aspect that we've been into, especially the darker element. That's definitely come in a lot more of this album round. Notice that a lot. It's just like the, the yeah, more minor aggressive sort of melodies and beats in there. Yeah. Yeah. Well, that's that's awesome. And so looking looking forward, um, do you have do you have stuff that like didn't make it into this album that you're already like looking ahead to to the next, or where do you where do you land there? Yeah, we kind of are. I don't know when we're going to release it yet, though, but we are trying to run some, a lot of the, like, demos. We had a big pile of demos when we finished the album um, of about 18, 17 to 18 tracks um, that we've whittled down. We released some of them as B-sides already, but we're going to finish off the remainder into tracks. And I think we're also going to just release some of the obscure moments from all the original sessions but there was like something like 55 sessions that are all like a good hour long wow. um wow. and there's a lot of different parts and some of them that are really really good so we we're going to try and stitch something together out of that and kind of sign off this project kind of completely that way it like so when we go to start our next album we are kind of working with that complete clean palette again it's a really nice feels really good to start a new project like that without old leftover ideas because then you're trying to work something in and you're yeah. it's not quite right and it's just that sometimes you're trying to make something fit when it shouldn't fit and because you've got it left over and it can just draw something out so we're like let's, let's do what we did last time or didn't do last time well enough and just wrap everything up here's all the leftovers, here's all the little juicy goodies. It's like, we, we'll never make these into real tracks, but they sound great, so here you go. Um, yeah. And get that out, so yeah, so come next year that we can focus purely on <laughs> new music again. 
That's awesome. That's awesome. Yeah. Well, David, and, and so as we wind out, uh, what, why don't you share what what would you say is your best live show moment that you that you've had so far? Ooh, best live show moment. It's quite a lot at different points and in many different places, but it's tough. Um, a real big achievement for us was the Roundhouse in London. That was a really big, big deal and a big special show. Um, we had all of our family there. So it's like the first time that everyone has like come down in that kind of capacity and all been in the same sort of same space. Um, but then doing Bowery Ballroom in New York last time was a big deal as well. That's a really special venue. And the crowd in there was incredible. And Luke started crying on stage because he was just like so overwhelmed with like how much, uh, yeah, it was incredible actually that show. Um, there's a lot, there's just been a lot over the years. And it's kind of just like, yeah, starting to do these ones again now and getting back into it. You can see that I feel like some of the most magical memories for people's shows are going to come over the next year or so because for some people of a younger generation i can't imagine what if this had been me 10 years ago getting out to music now going to a festival and like the feeling that some some people are going to have is going to be so big so yeah. fucking big that that's i feel like some of the best shows for us will probably happen across some of these next this next year or so Maybe America this time we could have the best one. <laughs> yeah, yeah, it could happen. You have a great, I mean, great tour lined up ahead. So that's, I mean, yeah. that's super awesome, you know? Yeah, and, I'm really looking forward to this one a lot, actually. Long yeah. time coming, US tour. <laughs> Long time coming. <laughs> for, for sure. And, and I hope you enjoy the show back in San Francisco. I don't know if I can make it i don't want to commit because i got a festival the weekend before that i'm covering and i'm that's the day like i'm right then is when i have to be out of this house and so i have to yeah, finish up busy, here busy, and busy. everything so i can't commit but i but i'm so excited for you and uh and hope you have a, a great a tour ahead and uh and enjoy the most of it because it's you know we're back in live music again you got, you got two albums you know under you to the support and lots of people were freaking interested in uh and down to see uh see you guys so that's really yeah, cool forward to it yeah well thanks david for for taking the time today i, I hope do. you have a, uh, a great evening ahead and uh best to you and the the rest of the band okay thank you very much that was the interview with david havard of elder island here on concert pipeline and that takes us to the final segment on the program the music news <laughs> I have just a couple of stories here to wind out the program. Um, the Coachella is the, the biggest one. Is Coachella's, this is weekend two of the Coachella Music Festival. And, uh, and like there were in weekend one with a number of surprises, Arcade Fire played uh, weekend one, and that was not uh, expected or announced. So, um, so that's very exciting. There were some other surprises that happened weekend one as well. Uh, and while weekend two isn't over, uh, there have already been some uh, surprise appearances uh, to the festival. So let's go through a couple of those uh, appearances. Um, this did kick off this past Friday um, at Empire Polo Club. And um, so Baby Keem pulled out all the stops for his evening performance um, as he brought out Kendrick Lamar. That's a big get for his uh, for his set. 
there's videos on uh, online as well, of course. And uh, Lamar entered on stage surrounded by a pr uh, large projections of fire as the crowd, slowly realizing who is on stage, starts to collectively freak out. Uh, and uh, Lamar's appearance coincides with his uh, recent announcement of his long-awaited fifth studio album, Mr. Morale and the Big Steppers, which will arrive on May 13th. Who else is uh, uh, joining? Okay, so last weekend, Shania Twain joined um, uh, Harry Styles on stage for a couple of her songs. Uh, and well, uh, this weekend, Harry Styles brought out Lizzo. Uh, she just uh, is fresh off of uh, hosting and being the musical guest for Saturday Night Live. Uh, so I'm sure a lot of people are really stoked for uh, that appearance. And they've performed together in the past. They joined direct, uh, forces for One Direction's What Makes You Beautiful and a rendition of Gloria Gaynor's 1978 disco classic, I Will Survive. Um, okay, so another, uh, I guess people weren't really surprised about Lizzo because she did uh, post a video on TikTok on Friday saying she would uh, be headed to the festival. So um, who else do we have uh, who showed up? Um, Let's see, Phoebe uh, Bridgers welcomed uh, Arlo Parks to the stage uh, as she did in weekend one, while Omar Apollo uh, joined Daniel Caesar during his set later in the evening. And then a, a week after Billie Eilish welcomed uh, Damon uh, Albarn and De La Soul's uh, Postmas to the stage, the singer had another surprise guest in store for her second headlining gig Saturday, Haley Williams who came out to uh, lead an acoustic rendition of Paramore's Misery Business. Uh, so lots and lots of guest star um, performances at uh, Coachella this weekend. Okay, a couple more stories for you before we wrap. Um, the never ending uh, rumors around Van Halen uh, reunions uh, or tour, I guess you could say, um, continue to, uh, um, be, be talked about. Um, David Lee Roth has issued his first statement rega um, regarding the recent headlines about a possible Van Halen tribute tour uh, after former Metallica bassist Jason Newsted uh, leaked news on his invitation to participate in the project during an interview with the Palm Beach Post last week. Joe Satriani told the Rock of Nations of Dave Kinchin podcast that he has been in talks with Roth and Alex Van Halen for about a year about doing something. Uh, a tour like something like that, that was going to be a, tr a true tribute to Eddie and the Van Halen legacy. Uh, and so um, Eddie Van Halen said, in the mind, in my mind, Van Halen 4K in the age of COVID is uh, going to require two of us for every position, Satriani and Lucather, Anthony and Newstead, Al or Tommy Lee, probably the only one who can do my job today would be Pink. Interesting. Uh, the singer's comments reference a list of players that could be could include original Van Halen bassist, Michael Anthony, uh, and of course, all the people that I already named. Um, uh, and so we'll, uh, we'll see what happens there in terms of that, um, that tribute show. Would be pretty cool, I think. And then the last story I have for the music news today is that uh, uh, Mike Campbell is reunited, reunited with Heartbreakers drummer Stan Lynch for the first time in 30, or excuse me, for the first tour in 30 years. Uh, he is an old friend who I love dearly, Campbell says. We've had the best time reconnecting and we can't wait to get out there and play music together again. Um, and so Mike Campbell and the Dirty Knobs uh, uh, took the stage on, at the Fox Theater in Boulder, Colorado. Uh, and they'll be joined by 
Petty and the Heartbreakers drummer Stan Lynch. He's going to stay on the road with them through late June, marking the first time they've toured together since Into the Great Wide Open run in 1992. Uh, and that's uh, that's all there is about that the actual story. So um, that is our show for today. Uh, again, I want to uh, thank Elder Island for taking the time to be on the program. And uh, we move as we move into May, we're going to work on getting some interviews with bands that are playing bottle rock. Um, and we, I think I may have previously uh, hinted that we might have an interview with Atlas Genius. That is not going to happen. Uh, they led me along. And after we had already had it set up, they're deep in the studio right now, um, working on their long awaited album. Uh, I really look forward to seeing them at bottle rock just the same, uh, but not going to be able to, uh, to rail in a, uh, uh, an interview with Atlas Genius. So there's other stuff in the works. Can't, I'm not going to tease anything now because nothing's 100% locked. So you'll just have to tune in to Concert Pipeline to see who is on next. Uh, so uh, for all of us here at Concert Pipeline, I'm Steve Jones. I'll catch you next time.